I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've been talking to you about death to self. Death to self is the message to the believer. I keep saying we have all got two men in us when we're born again. Hold on a second here. We've all got two men. Paul expresses that better than anybody. He's the one that's told us all about it. You have the inner man, that's Christ, and you, that's the new birth, Christ. And you have the outer man, outer man. When the Bible says in Philippians 2.13, it is Christ or it is God that works in you to will to do of his good pleasure. He's working in us to get rid of this outer man. And we we can't get rid of this outer man. Paul said, I serve the law of the flesh with the outer man. He says that in Romans 7. He says, I've got these two men that's in a fight. I've got Christ in me. That's the new birth, new birth. And uh, that's what the Bible says. You cannot birth yourself. John one thirteen. We are born again, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God's will. That's it. God picks out a family that he wants. The big key to predestination is to understand your condition when you come to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or all that's in the world. You come to it, you go straight to sin. That's every person that's ever lived. That's where we go. We love it. And that's the man that dies because he gets to sin. Well, this inner man... We were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And through tribulation and trial and fire and persecution and everything you can imagine, all of that comes into our life to get rid of this outer man. It's like I say, this is like concentric circles. As tribulation works in our life, the inner man takes over a little at a time. And by the time you get to be old like me, you get in your 80s, you're going to say, I've got to change. You start saying, I want to change before then. I've gone through so many steps in my life changing. I mean, I wanted full-blown sin when I was young, but I didn't think I did. I thought I wanted Jesus and the world at the same time. And you can't have both of them. And over the years, God will put you through every kind of fire and trial. You may lose your house, lose your job. You may end up 40 years old like I did, broke, bankrupt. And I started my life from scratch at 40. Everything you see me possess, this ministry, my house, everything has been since I was 40. And I'm 83 now. And I didn't have anything, and I started all over again. And he'll put you through all that, and you'll wake up one day, like I did in the hospital, and say, Lord, if I don't stop doing what I'm doing, you're going to kill me, aren't you? And boy, that's when I really started changing. I was in my mid-40s. I've been a preacher since I was young, back in my early 20s. 
but I didn't realize what I was doing. And I went into the world and got out there in the pop music world and made a fool of myself. And as you get older, these fire and trial will burn out self. That's nothing but self. That's all it is. And Paul talks about the inner and the outer man in Romans 7 and 25. That's when he tells you the inner man serves the law of God, the outer man serves the law of the flesh. And that old chapter, he says, when I do the things that I would not, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Self. Self is the only problem that a man has ever had. Self. If you think that person is giving you a hard time, it's his fault. It's not. It's your fault. (laughs) Everything's your fault. If we could be born with the nature of Christ and never get angry at anybody, we could grow up and be the sweet, gentlest person. But you can't because you're made of this outer man. That's all there is to it. Now, we're talking about death to self death to self every subject that I say is talks about death to self it's a daily cross every one of these subjects on this pinwheel I've got God's pinwheel this is part three of God's pinwheel part three I try to say things about all these subjects, every one of them, a blood baptism was a death. That's what it was. When Jesus says to James and John, can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? He wasn't talking about water three years before that. He was talking about his death the next day on a cross. Can you die the death? They said, we can. He said, both of you will. That's amazing because that was John the Beloved. He was exiled on Patmos later on. And most of the scholars say they don't know whether he was whether he was martyred or not. Jesus said he would be in that tenth chapter of Mark. I can tell you he was martyred. That's after they boiled him all and put him on Patmos for so long and they come off Patmos and they killed him. That's what they do to believers. This is all about death to self. That's a blood baptism. Drinking a cup. That's about death to self. You can take your McClinic and Strong, look up the C volume, look up cup. If you don't have McClinic and Strong, you got it you at the internet, look up McClintock and Strong, just use your browser, and go and put McClintock and Strong, and it'll pop up on your screen for you. And look at the C volume, look at cup. It'll tell you, drinking a cup meant to undergo a violent death. It meant to taste death. When Jesus took the cup, he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Goodness gracious, drinking a cup is the same thing as inheritance because it's the same thing because the Bible says having we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated predestination has to do with inheritance in fact in that fifth verse for the fourth verse of that same chapter first chapter of Ephesians Paul said 
He had chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. He didn't choose us just to go to heaven. He chose us to be holy without blame. Blame before Him in love. Now you're not even going to know what they're saying if you just read the if you just read the English text. You're not going to know. Well, we got to be holy without blame, don't we? Without blame is the inner man. Holy is the word hagios, H-A-G-I-O-S. Without blame is the word amomos, A-M-O-M-O-S. Momos means to be blamed. The alpha primitive negates that, means blameless. But that would only be the inner man. Notice how this matches up with First John 3 and 9. This is Ephesians 1 and 4. Notice how this matches up. The Bible says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Well, that's that inner man. The inner man doesn't sin. You see, you say, but I know I sin. Well, I know you do too. <laughs> same book, same man. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. There's a part of us that can't quit sinning and there's a part of us that can't sin. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. For the seed of Christ remains in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. So, Amamos means blameless. The only thing in a man that's blameless when he's a believer is the inner man. It's pretty simple. And then he says, we're, we're, he's chosen us to be holy, hagios, which means to be single. What God has to do is put you through all kinds of fire and burn out that outer man. Now, when you get old, like me, you're going to have a thin veneer of that fleshly man. You can't get rid of all the sin in your life all of a sudden one day. It's not possible. You can't even get rid of the sin in your life. I'll put it this way. God can't get rid of it over 50 years. He'll get rid of most of it. Because you'll start registering. This happens when I do that. I need to quit doing that. That'll start happening to you. So, without blame before Him in agape. That's not something in the future. That's here. Agape, those two words for love, phileo and agape. Phileo means to like something. That's not this word. Phileo means I like cake. I like God. I like fish. I like to go fishing. I like to get drunk. I like I like drugs. I like my wife. I like my dog. I like my car. You can like anything. Phileo. But this word agape, they are not the same word. I don't care what any preacher says. I don't care what John MacArthur says. They're not the same word. Do you think phileo sounds like agape? Doesn't to me. When you look in... When you look in... Kittle's Dictionary of New Testament Greek Words... There is 34 pages on agape in that. 
He will tell you this is a relationship that kings had for their subjects. They gave them laws and they willingly walked in them. If they didn't, they would scourge them till they did walk in them. So agape is walking in the commandments of God. Second John 6, this is agape, this is love, that we walk after His commandments. Now, I'm trying to talk about drinking a cup is the same thing as inheritance. Let me see if I can match this up. Look over here in look over here in Matthew Matthew the twenty sixth chapter. I'm gonna say something real slow. I don't know if it's ever registered on anybody. I've never had anybody come up to me and comment on it afterwards or in a discussion. Let me say this very, very slow. They're eating the last Passover. They're not eating crackers and drinking grape juice. Good grief. Where do they come? I know where they come up with communion. I won't go into the story, but it has nothing to do with these verses. Now look there. Let me say it slow and see if you can get it. If you if it'll register on your mind, you might go, "Oh wow!" They're eating the Passover. Verse twenty-six. You can see the Passover in verse two, and verse seventeen and eighteen, and as they were eating, in verse nineteen, they're eating the Passover. Had four items at the Passover. Won't go into that right now. But as they were eating, verse 26, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take it, this is my body. Let me ask you, how many bodies are there? <laughs> One body. <laughs> One body, Ephesians 4, 5. One body. One body. The Bible says in Colossians 1 and 18 and 24, the body is the church. Jesus is not talking about bread here. He's, I've said this a thousand times, but I'm going to say one more. When they were doing a contract, they performed it. They acted it out. He was acting out a contract. He was saying this, he didn't even say is. Is is the word E-I-N-A-I, E-I-N-A-I. If he'd have said is, that's the word he'd have used, but he didn't. He used the word esteem. Esteem means represents. This represents my body. He was performing a contract. He wasn't eating crackers and drinking grape juice, you preachers out there. Don't you know that? And then he says, and Paul said, Be we being many are one bread and one body. We're the body. You're going to eat the body? Well, the Bible says Jesus told 
the apostles when they come out in John 4. They went to town and get something to eat. He was talking to the woman at the well of Samaria. When they come back, they said, have you eaten anything? He said, I have a meat to eat of that you are not familiar with. He said, my meat is not something I put in my mouth. My meat is to do the will of the Father. In fact, if you look at the word nomos, N-O-M-O-S, that is the word law. And nomos means, it means legally prescribed food for animals. It is prescribed by God. So when Jesus said, my meat is to do, it's to do the nomos. That's the, the Greek word law. So this is prescribed food for animals. In our case, we are sheep. So they're not... He's performing something here. It's like a little one-act play. They did that with everything. When, When Ezekiel laid on his right side for 360 days and on his left side for 40 days, it was a contract. I sold real estate for 17 years and we would call that we're taking somebody out and getting a house for them and taking back the office and writing the contract and then taking it through the whole, taking them down to a, uh, to a bone officer and putting in their application and when it gets through and going to the lawyer and, 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 uh, going through the whole smear. They called that in real estate specific performance of a contract. That's what they called it. Well, they aren't the first person who did that. That Jesus is doing that here. Then he says, He took the cup. Well, if the first part of this is spiritual, the second part has to be spiritual. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink all of it. Why would he say drink ye all of it? He says this is not a one-time thing. I'm still in the contract performance. And like I said, you look up cup and McClinican Strong, it'll say to undergo a severe ordeal or a death or to taste death. When he says to them, can you drink the cup that I drink of? He's talking about can you die the death? And then he says, drink ye all of it. In other words, you're not going to drink the cup till I'm dead because he states that in so many words. And he says, he gave thanks. You have to know that the third cup of the Passover was called cup of blessing. cup of blessing that was the third cup of the Passover let me just make this so you can really get old look at 1 Corinthians I'm not turning away from there 1 Corinthians turn over there and I'll read this to you so you can see it for yourself now Corinthians was written by Paul long after Jesus is dead 1 Corinthians 10 16. The cup of blessing. Whoa, wait a minute. Stop. 
That's a term for the third cup of the Passover. Where'd you get that, Jim? One of the most brilliant scholars in biblical history was a man named Alfred Edersheim. He wrote a book. I've got one up here called The Temple, Its Ministry and Services. He's got one section at the top of the page. It's got Cup of Blessing. And it'll say this is the third cup of the Passover. And that's what Paul says. So Paul is not referring to the literal Passover here. He's referring to a spiritual Passover. The cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of Christ. It was against the Jewish law to drink blood. You couldn't do it. It was a figurative term. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body. We're the body that he says partake of back in Matthew 26. Can you see that? That's not hard to understand. For we are all partakers of that one bread, which is the body of Christ. Now back over here to Matthew. Matthew 26. He says, drink ye all of it. For this cup is the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Now that word remission, that's an interesting word. Ephesus. Let me get another pen here. This is the word. Ephesus. Remission. It's the exact same word as forgiveness. You have to repent to be forgiven. There has to be a death to self. So he says here, this cup that I'm giving to you is the blood of the New Testament. Now that word testament shows you there's a death involved here. There's a death involved because the word testament is the word diatheke. Everywhere you find D-I-A-T-H-E-K-E everywhere you find testament in the New Testament. Testament or covenant in the in the New Testament Bible. In the King James Bible. Covenant. Both of them are the word diatheke. Why the translators put one testament, one covenant? I don't know. I think those guys are wacky, half wacky. I, I find all kinds of mistakes in the King James Bible. And when they do stuff like this, I don't know why they did that. doesn't make sense to me. You think those guys that translated the Bible in 1605 to 1611 were perfect? Not by a long shot they weren't. You think I could have corrected them? I probably got in a fight with some of them in that translating room. You can't do this. But they were doing it. you got to remember, the head translator had a Roman Catholic name. His name was Lancelot Andrews. Now, Lancelot is a Roman Catholic name. 
he comes out of the Arthurian legend, which has the Our Lady of the Lake in it. And when you watch the old Excalibur movie, you see Our Lady of the Lake bringing the sword up out of the and Lady of the Lake with the same thing as Morgana or, or Morgan Le Fay, which I've gone through that. And Morgan Le Fay means the sea fairy or the sea demon. It's all thinly veiled sun and tree worship. That's what MacArthur and the Knights of the Round Table is about. Diathike means last will and testament. That's what the word testament or covenant translates diathike, testament. A last will and testament has no power until the man who drew up the last will and testament and he was called the 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 mediator mediator you mean testator excuse me sometimes I get testator and the testator is the one who draws it up that's the word mesites m-e-s-i-t-e-s and he's the one that drew this up. So Jesus is the testator, and he has to be dead before this cup has any power. When's he going to die? This is the night before he dies. So the testament is not any good until he's dead. This is probably around 9 o'clock at night. Just a guesstimate. Even if it's 8 o'clock, he doesn't die until somewhere between 12 and 3 in the afternoon. What we would call the next day, but it's not the next day because their day would start at 6 o'clock in the evening. The evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. And their day didn't end till 6 the next evening. So this is actually the same day, but he's not going to be dead till 16 to 18 hours later. So that cup will not take effect until he's dead. You understand that? It's not going to be, he's not talking about the grape juice they're drinking. He's talking about a contract. And let's verify that. I've said this over and over and over again. This will destroy these guys that pass around crackers and grape juice and call it communion. Has nothing to do with that. Look over in Hebrews 9. And this, I'm just showing you, there has to be a death when it comes to drinking the cup or to an inheritance. Look at at Hebrews 9. I've said this so many times. It thrills me to see this because it devastates that communion in all these churches. Destroys it. Hebrews 9. All right. Verse 16. For where a testament is, there's one there in that 26th chapter of Matthew, isn't there? This cup is the New Testament. 
For where a testament is, there must also of necessity to be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Jesus had to be dead before that testament took effect. Can you see that? Had to be dead. And he's not dead yet. It's the night before. He's saying, when I die, I want you to learn to drink the cup, all of it, every day. If you read that out of McClendon and Strong, it'll strengthen you and help you to see that. It has no strength at all while the testator liveth. It's, it's amazing to me that people don't see this. Now, we're talking about a last will and testament. Let's look at last will and testament has to do with dying, doesn't doesn't it? And he's left us. Is are we? Was he our example? Was Jesus our example? If he had to die, inheritance in the Greek is the word klero nomia n-o-m-i-a or klero nomas klero notice that word nomas that's the word law law kleros means a legal or a portion kleronomia means a lawful portion who has a lawful portion to inherit something in a family? The child, an adopted child. The Bible says in Ephesians, look at Ephesians. Ephesians 1. I'll just read it out of the Bible. I quote it all the time. Ephesians 1. Oops, my Bible's turned up. Ephesians 1 and verse 5. This is going to show you who has a legal, lawful portion to inherit what Christ has for us. In verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. Predestination and adoption have to do. Predestination has to do with being adopted. Adoption is the word huiothesia. H-U-I-O-T-H-E-S-I-A. It comes from two words. Huios. H-U-I-O-S. And Tithomai. Tithomai means to place. And Huios is the word Sons. You don't place yourself as a son in his kingdom. He does the placing. So, means to place sons. And then he says, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ unto himself. People say, well, why would God do that for some and not others? The best answer to that is the very last phrase in this verse. According to the good pleasure of His will because He wants to. 
do our God sits in the heaven, he's done whatsoever he hath pleased. Psalms hundred and ten three. According to the good pleasure, you do he you did this is a good word pleasure. E U D O K I A. He thinks well. That's thinking well to him. He can do it because he wants to. Now look down here in look down here in verse eleven. Speaking of Christ, in whom we have obtained an inheritance that word obtained is the word klarao means to assign k-l-e-r-o-o it has been assigned to us now if you have a job and you've got a superior do you have to do what he assigned you to do on the job yeah we do it because he is God and because he says that's what we have to do. I'm going to take you to some other things on that. According to the good pleasure of his will, we've obtained inheritance according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. The word counsel is the word bule, B-O-U-L-E. means purpose. This is God's purpose. What is His purpose? The Lord, He may, I don't know, just whatever's going on, that's all His purpose. He's declared the end of time from the beginning, from ancient times, everything that's not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I'll do everything I want to do. Nobody can stop me. God is in charge of all the good and the evil in the world. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. People don't like that. People hate the idea of predestination and God doing what He wants. That's what it is. The Bible, the Bible doesn't say what these preachers in these churches are saying. They're all lying. Every preacher I know of has got some lies in his. I was so disappointed, John MacArthur, because he's just he has gotten so mushy on everything he's saying. He's got Christmas, and he knows it's not true. He knows it's paganism. He's got water baptism. He knows it doesn't mean that. He's got crackers and grape juice in his church, and it's not what it is. It was a pass. It was the Passover. He's got. He's got people saying fellowship with him and his conferences they don't even believe the same things I can't believe John is saying and doing the things he's doing and then he says when he says he works saying all things after the counsel of his own will that word will is the word thelema t-h-e-l-e-m-a works all things after the counsel of his own determination. He determines everything that's happening, everything in the world that's going on, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world there in Acts 15 chapter. He's declared everything. Now, what is it that he's declared? What we're looking at right now is drinking the cup and inheritance. We've gone through Matthew 26. We looked at Hebrews 9.16. We need to go to 1 Peter, the second chapter. 
This is about inheritance. This word is mentioned one time in the Bible. You say, Jim, how do you know these things about one time or seven times? That's as easy as falling off a log. Now, preachers won't tell you what they use to find out these things. This word study concordance, when you look a number up, you look a word up in your Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, and then you go to this, it'll tell you every time that word's mentioned in here, look it up in here, and it'll tell you how many times it's mentioned, and it'll go all through here, and it'll, sometimes it'll be different words. That's why you need a strong, you get a word study concordance. Man, this is a treasure. Because you, you can look up the word doubt. If a man, uh, will say to this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast in the sea, and not doubt in his heart. The word is diacrino. Doubt, you can find it in this book here, diacrino. That's the word doubt. But you're not going to be able to tell this if you don't look it up. Then if you're over there in Romans, the fourth chapter, and God calls things that be not as though they were, and Abraham consider not his own body now dead, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. She didn't ovulate anymore. He didn't have any sperm anymore. He was a hundred years he was ninety nine years old. She was eighty nine. And he says, You're going to have a son and Abraham says, Okay. And the Bible says Abraham staggered not at the promise of God. Staggered. Staggered is the same word, Diacrino is doubt. You're not going to know that unless you look up both of them in a Strong's Exhaustion Accordance or just use this and look up the Strong's number and it'll show you every time that word diacrino is mentioned. Every time. How many times? I use this second only to my Strong's Concordance. I wouldn't do without one of these in my studies. What is that again, Jim? The word study concordance. Word study can, they don't print it anymore, uh, but you can probably find one on the internet, on Amazon or something. It's a magnificent book. I believe the best I remember that that word diacrino is mentioned 12 times in the New Testament, I think. That's the best I remember. Now, we're talking about drinking the cup, death to self. We're talking about inheritance. Jesus died, and He's teaching us that we have to die. That's the way it is. Now, look over here. Look over here at First Peter. You're going to find there's one word here mentioned one time in this word study concordance. All right. Let me look here. Now here in in verse 21, Peter's talking all through here about the will of God in his life. And he says here in verse 21, For hereunto were ye called. Called is the word kaleo. K-A-L-E-O. That's very important. 
because when you see the word ecclesia, E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A, it is constructed of ek and kaleo. Ek means out, kaleo means called. We're called out to do something, and he's going to tell us what we're called to here. You can just actually put this. This is for the church. This is what you were called to do. Here unto were you called. Because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example. Leaving is the word hupolampano. It means to leave behind or bequeath. What does bequeath mean? That means after somebody's dead, they left you something. You go down to the law office and they read the will of what you get. So this is a list of what he left for us. And what the funny thing is, some of these wacky charismatics take this and try to make it something they get because they want it. You can't listen to them. They're crazy. All right. This is, he's going to make a list of what we were called to. Okay. Is that a good deal? That's a good deal to me. (laughs) All right. Let me put my book back down here. Everybody needs to get one of these because I don't know why they quit printing them. They've got one called an Englishman's Concordance. It's got a lot of the same things that this has in it, but it doesn't have the number of times the word is mentioned up here. It's 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 called an Englishman's. they got an Englishman's Concordance in the New Testament, an Englishman's Concordance in the Old. This is just in the New Testament. This is one of my favorite books to use. All right. Now, what we're going to do is talk about the list of things that God has left us when he died. That word, leaving, is the word hupo limpano. Hupo. L-I-M-P-A-N-O. Hupolimpano. It means to leave behind or bequeath after somebody dies. So here's a list of things he's left for us. Leaving us an example that we should follow his Steps. I love that word follow. Y'all should know that by now. The word follow is Aku, A-K-O-U, L-A-T-H-E-O, Akulateo. Love that word. It means to be in the same way. Way way with it means to be in the same way with Christ what is the way that he's in narrow is the way I'm sorry but uh, that's been left you 
upon his death. It's in his last will and testament. You have to do these things that he's leaving. You've got to be in the same way. And that There's two ways, a narrow way and a broad way. The broad way leads to destruction and many, many go in thereat. Many are in the broad way. That's not the way of Christ. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. The word way is hodos. It means a road, street, highway, journey. You'll even find the word journey sometimes translated hodos. It's the narrow way. Narrow is the word thalibo, T-H-L-I-B-O. It means to squeeze through a narrow opening. You know, I've never really tried to explain this to this degree. It's like being out here in life and you're saying predestination is true. Christmas is pagan and boy, people are pressured you. You're going... That's in the Bible. You call yourself a Christian. You go to church. You don't believe that? And you're pressured. It comes from the same word. This is the verb form of the noun, thalipsis. Every time you find the word tribulation, you can look this up in the word study concordance. Every time you find the word tribulation, it is the word thalipsis. Paul said we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. If you're unwilling to go through this pressure that people put on you for telling the truth, you cannot go without telling people the truth so they can persecute you. I walked across the street yesterday and Ben and Holly were out in the yard talking to some neighbor or something. Went over there and he was, uh, he was with that offshoot, uh, offshoot of the Mormon church, FLDS, whatever it was. And it was kind of considered a cult out in Utah. And he said, uh, and I said something about the Bible. And I just started, I handed him a paper and I handed him a DVD and he said, I don't believe in religion. I said, well, God may have to deal with you. God will deal with you if you belong to him. And I'm sitting there just saying stuff to him right and left. And I don't, he said, I don't believe in religion. Well, that had nothing to do with whether I was going to talk to him or not. I said, watch that DVD and you'll hear some things you never heard in your life. I said, you've heard of Kenneth Copeland? He said, never heard of him. And then he contradicted himself. I said, well, I don't teach like anybody else. He said, that's what all the other preachers say. I said, I should have said, well, how would you know? You said you don't even know those other preachers' names. You're contradicting yourself. But I don't let that stop me. I witness to people, and if they are vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, that witness I gave to him will glorify God just as much when he puts him in hell. Your job is not to win anybody to Christ. Your job is to tell them the truth, just like my job is. So I went over and told him the truth. Most people won't let loose like I don't. I wasn't hard on him. I didn't cut him down. 
I wasn't abrasive or cutting. I said, well, here's the DVD. Read that paper. That's about God creates evil. That's what it says. And I don't let anything back me off. I just witness gentle but firm. And I left him at that. My job is to tell people the truth. It's not to convert anybody. Neither is yours. When you come to that realization that everybody in the world is one of two things. They're either a vessel of wrath fitted to destruction from the foundation of the world or they're a vessel of mercy which God has prepared to glory and all you're looking for is those few vessels of mercy. That's all. And the quicker you can get to the blunt truth the quicker you can eliminate them. And you can think, I'm not doing any good because he didn't make a decision. You're not supposed to get people to make decisions. If you say the truth to them and they belong to him, it'll cut into their heart. They may not accept it that day. It may be a year down the road. And it may not be from you that they'll talk to and believe the truth. But they will eventually believe it if they are one of God's predestinated elect family. Now, let's get back to this. So he's going to give us a list of the things that he's left us as an example. The word example is hupogramos. Example. Hupogramos. Gramos is a form of graphe, which means writing. This means an under, hoopo is under, an underwriting. An underwriter is one who guarantees the issue of the policy. The guarantee is from God. So he says, here's your list, Christian believers. Number one, let me erase this. We're talking about a last will and testament. We're talking about dying. We have to die. Because Christ died and He's leaving us an example as our inheritance. Here's your inheritance He did no sin. Is there a part of me that don't sin? Yes. Number one, no sin. That is the inner man. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remains with him, and he cannot sin. It's impossible for Christ in you to sin. In fact, without an inner man, a man has no conscience. It takes two to put a man to death in Israel. There in in Numbers, the 35th chapter, Deuteronomy, the 17th chapter, Deuteronomy, the 19th chapter, takes two witnesses to put a man to death. And both of them have to be honest and upright men. It takes the inner man causing the outer man to vote with him and say self must die and be eliminated and it takes a lifetime you know what that is that's cutting off the outer man that is spiritual circumcision and you find that outer man in Colossians 3 
This is all about Paul's writings in 2 Corinthians 4, Ephesians 4, and in Romans 7. He's going to keep saying, put on the inner man. Put on. Put on. Put on. That word put on is in duo, E-N-D-U-O. And that is, means to sink into clothing. Sink into clothing. What is our clothing? The Bible says those around the throne of God in Revelation 7, these, those that are clothed in white, the robes are made white in the blood of Christ. Are you washed in the blood in the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb? He's washed us from our sins in His own blood. A blood baptism was a death. The same thing as drinking a cup. When Jesus asked the James and John, can you drink the cup that I drink up? Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? He died the next day. And that's what he was talking about now. No sin. So you got an inner man that can't sin. But he'll get rid of that outer man if you live long enough. If you live a long time, he'll kill off that outer man. And you'll have a little bit of it when you get to be old. Not a lot left. You get. You know what you get tired of? You. I got so tired of fighting and arguing. I used to, I would fight a circle saw. I'd argue with anybody at 30 years old, just to prove my point. I was kind of dumb back then. Of course, I think everybody was dumb at 30, wasn't they? <laughs> I'm glad we hadn't got the young ones in here. <laughs> they didn't think I'm insulting them. No, it's just what we all got to go through now. Did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. Guile, dolos, D-O-L-O-S. No guile. Boy, that's the hardest thing in the world to get away from. Guile. It means to speak by trickery, to divert people from the real truth by using tricky words so it might sound good but it's deceiving that's something all of us have been guilty of haven't we God makes it impossible to be a Christian (laughs) what it is hard being a Christian it's hard for the outer man to be a Christian but the outer man is what convicts the inner man No guile was found in his mouth. Now, let's keep it. This is, this is all, these are all the list for us. It's our last will and testament. It's Christ's last will and testament that he's leaving to us. Who, when he was reviled, well, this is hard. When he was reviled, he reviled not 
again. That word reviled is anti-loidoreo, A-N-T-I. A-N-T-I-L-O-I-D-O-R-E-L. That's the word reviled. And it means to rail and reply against. You did this. Oh, yeah, well, you did that. You're not supposed to be doing that. That's not Christianity. I would ask how many people have done that, but that would be a waste of time, wouldn't it? (laughs) Because we've all done it, haven't we? More than we want to. And it means to... This is the only time this word is mentioned in the New Testament. How do you know that? I got it out of Word Study Concordance. It comes from anti, it means instead of. Loidoreo means to reproach or vilify. Reproach, remember the word reproach? Reproach is a word. Aniedzo, O-N-E-I-D-I-Z-O. It means to defame or make infamous. Bless you to ye when men shall, when they shall reproach you. That's when you can rejoice and leap for joy in Luke six twenty-two and 23. You can jump for joy when somebody reviles you for telling them the truth. I got a shirt that says God does not love everybody and I got out here to market one day and she looked the lady looked at me about sixty five. She said, I think God loves everybody <laughs> just like that. I said, Well, let me tell you what the Bible says. I said it just like this. <laughs> I said, here's what the Bible says. God said he loved Jacob and hated Esau before either one were born, before either one had done any good or evil. And she started grumbling. I said, that's what the Bible says. you got to be ready to give an answer and tell people what the Bible says. I didn't have to say anything about my opinion. I said, the Bible says that. The lady at the bank one day, I had that same shirt on. She said, well, I, I think God loves everybody. I said, well, let me tell you what the Bible says. And so I quoted the same verse. And she went, oh. She dropped her head and just walked on through the line. And later when she got to with the teller, I said, here, let me give you this. I gave her a DVD. I said, watch that. It'll tell you about it. I'm always prepared when I go out to meet people. I've usually got a pocket full of DVDs. Don't carry them in the pulpit because they make a lump in my pocket, but I have them. And that word revile, when you look in Webster's Dictionary, it says vituperation, V-I-T-U-P-E-R-A, V-I-T-E. P-U-R-A-T-I-O-N. Now, this is what Webster says about reviled. Webster's Dictionary. Got one up here. And it'll tell you where it goes back to, what the ancient language was. If you get a Webster's Dictionary, be sure and get college edition because it'll tell you what the word is and what the ancient word that it come from. 
It's good to have a Webster's Dictionary, especially when it's got the origin of the Greek words or the French words or whatever the words it is. And then vituperation means abusive language. When people use abusive language to blame you and find fault, to speak abusively to you or to berate you, you're supposed to be like Jesus as a lamb to slaughter as a sheep before he shears his dumb, he opened not his mouth. The Pharisees, why don't you talk to us? Don't you know we're going to kill you? Well, yeah, your body and mind's made up, so what's the use of me talking? And then he, they took him for a pilot, and Pilate said, Don't you know I've got the power to release you? And you won't talk to me? And Jesus said, I'll say one thing to you. You don't have any power given you except be given to you, my Father, which is in heaven. That's it. Do your duty. He was laying his life down for his sheep. Now, you can't just say, I think these things mean. They don't mean what you think. There's dozens of words for this word loadoreo in the scripture. Well, there's about a dozen in uh, in First uh, Corinthians four and twelve. Being reviled, we bless. How do we bless if we're reviled? We you logeo. We get our word eulogy from that. E-U-E-U-L-O-G-Y. That means well, you, words. Logos. Well, if people revile us and we bless them, what do we say to them? I hope you have a good day. No. What do we say? Would you like some ice cream and cake? No. Who gets to come up with the well words? Who gets to come up with that? God. <laughs> He's already given us the well words in this book. So you bless those that revile you. You don't just you don't let people have their way. And you just say if somebody gets mad at me, I usually just say something gentle and kind to them, but still truth. If somebody says, I don't like that, I say, well, it's still the truth. You can't change the Word of God. I'll be gentle to him. Now let's keep going. He reviled not again. And when he suffered, talking about Christ's suffering, this whole list of things is mine and your last will. It's the last will and testament Christ left to us when he died. It's what he's left us in his will. He threatened not again. Apilo. A-P-E-I-L-E-O. A-P-E-I-L-E-O means to menace. A-P-E-I. I hope you can keep remembering this is a list in God's last will and testament that He's left for us. And when he threatened, he when he suffered, he didn't threaten people back. Boy, that's hard to get over. 
I had a guy one time in real estate. I was showing houses, and I and I showed this one by ten houses one day. That's back in 1980 or 81 when you could show somebody four or five houses and they'd buy one. I thought, why didn't everybody get into real estate back then? Because I'd go out and show four houses and sell one, make a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars, boom, boom, like that. And I think everybody decided to get into it all at once. They've made it a difficult business to be in now. But I forgot to cancel. This woman was in the car with me. She said, oh, I get it. What time is it? Oh, I, my babysitter, I'm supposed to be back at 5 o'clock, and it's 5 o'clock now. Get me back to the office. And we hadn't shown this one house. And I forgot to call and cancel it. I mean, the guy got mad at me, the other agent. He called me and ringed me out, was just yelling and screaming at me, and and I was real quiet. And he would yell a while, and he'd say, Are you there? I'd say, Yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> Just like that. While he yelled and yelled, he had a reason to yell at me. And I kept saying, Well, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. And finally, he just, after about seven or eight minutes of yelling at me, he just said, Well, that's all. I said, Okay, bye. Just left it alone. And I saw him at the post office a few weeks later. And he said, Hi, Jim. And I said, Hey, Cody, how you doing? Just, I let it alone. I let it die its own death. You don't, I wasn't going to do me any good to scream back at him, was it? No. And then he, but remember, this is the list that he left us. We're reading Jesus' last will and testament that he's left me and you. He threatened not, but he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. We will commit ourselves to God who judges righteously. This is a part of our last, this is a part of Jesus' last will and testament left to us. Who is, who his own self by our sins in his body on the tree. Now we can't carry men's sins, but we can put up with what they do. When the Bible says to forbear one another in Ephesians the fourth chapter, those first two verses, forbear. Forbear. Is the word Anna. Or an echo. It means to, echo means to hold or put Anna up. It means to put up with one another's peculiarities and idiosyncrasies and things that we don't, makes us uncomfortable about others. And then the, and then it says, and shall live unto righteousness. And here's the strange thing that the charismatics do. They pull this next thing out of here and say, by whose stripes ye were healed. And they say, by the stripes of Jesus, somebody will be healed in the congregation. I tell you, that's not it. He's talking about this is by our stripes. 
people will come to the knowledge of the truth and people will beat us figuratively. You gotta remember, death is the word Thanos, T-H-A-N-O-S, or Thanatos, two different ways to spell it, Thanatos. It does not mean annihilation, it means separation. People will separate from you, and in a sense they'll be persecuting you after you tell them the truth about Christmas being paganism, it's Christ's mass, Roman Catholicism. They'll get mad at you, and they'll tell you off. But what you're supposed to do is put up with it. By whose stripes ye were healed by the stripes of Christ, but healed doesn't mean physically cleansed. It's talking about we're healed. We are healed spiritually by the stripes of Christ. Not not literally. And then he says, this is all a list of Christ's last will and testament. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop of your souls. Those, So you will return, you will return to Christ. So every one of us have gone astray in our life, haven't we? I've gone astray. I've got out there in the world and wanted to be a rich real estate mogul. I was on my way to it. Till God stuck me in the hospital and made me so sick, He's killing me. I said, God, if I don't stop doing what I'm doing, you're going to destroy me. Now, we're talking about faith, which is death to self. There's a couple of things I want to give you on faith. How much time to have, Mike? 24. 24. Let me go back here and... Faith is death to self. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Substance hypostasis. Well, I didn't put the rest of that list in there. Uh, when he there was no guile. Let me put the rest of that list up there. First Peter two. When he was threatened, he threatened not. A-P-E-I-L-O. A-P-E-I-L-O. Threatened not. Well, that's hard to get away from. Threatening somebody who's destroying a part of your life that you think. And you think it's out of control, out of God's control. And you've got to control it with your temper. You can't... Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? Oh gosh, I never thought of that. God never said that. Oh gosh, I, that has it ever occurred to you that nothing is out of God's control? Nothing. Not even the worst things that happen to all of us. Nothing is out of His control. I want us to go here. I'm looking at faith is death to self. Faith is hypostasis. Hupo, substance, hypostasis. I put this on the board because 
that substance, understanding. When you get to substance understanding, there's none that understands. If you have understanding in your heart, God had to put it there. If you're an understanding person about what's going on, if you understand that everything that's going on is of God, boy, that helps you more than anything. I, I argued and fought with people till I was about 60, 62, 63. I woke up one day and said, this is not working. <laughs> Have you ever done that to yourself? This ain't working. Let me try something else. What else can I try? Let me try it God's way. And I quit fighting anybody. I won't fight anybody. My family thinks I'm a natural fighter because they saw me when I was young getting in arguments all the time. I, I know that God has got his family picked out and he'll touch their hearts if I just say the words and that's all I'm. That's all I am supposed to do. I don't believe in the Baptist getting some guy and putting his arm up behind his back and say, "Repeat these words after me." Jesus saved me. Amen. Jesus saved me. Amen. Don't know. That's not salvation. That's some Baptist getting you by the arm, getting an arm hold on you. Now, and hypostasis is understanding. A disciple is the word mathetes. And it means a learner, and you cannot learn with God's understanding, and that's faith. And Jesus said, "Jesus said, you without a daily cross, you cannot be my disciple." In Luke fourteen twenty seven, he that beareth his cross and followeth me can't be my disciple. He can't learn. He has no faith. So a cross is for dying on. Everything up here is for dying. Sabbath is death to self. Death to self, you're going to find it in James 4, Galatians 6, Ephesians 2. You're going to find it all over the New Testament. Dying self is death to self. Faith is death to self. Predestination is to be like Christ, and that's death to self. Inheritance is death to self. Demons means to distribute fortunes, and when... Jesus said, if I cast out devils by the finger of God where he writes upon fleshy tables of our heart, then he says, you got to go according to your heart, not according to your feelings. Your feelings are going to make you want to talk back and get mad at somebody. So demon has to be cast out by Jesus. And then the kingdom of God is going to come unto us. So that has to do with death to self. The scourge is so that we could be partaker of His holiness, death to self. Love is agape, that's death to self. Blood baptism is death to self. Drinking a cup is death to self. Daily cross is death to self. Spiritual circumcision is death to self. It's all death to self. At my age, in my 80s, I can tell you that living for Christ is a lot easier than living for that outer man. That outer man gets you in trouble every time. It's gotten me more trouble than I can shake a stick at in my past. And I'm not even a big man. I got myself in situations where somebody could have killed me. I was crazy. Has anybody here been crazy just like me? <laughs> it's a crazy place to be, especially when you get older and say, Oh, this works. 
I should have tried this before. Now, let's go over here to... I'm going to show you what faith does. Do I have any time in mind? No, I ain't got much time. Let me give you a couple of things on faith. Go over here to Matthew. Now, the charismatics will use this and say it says something it doesn't say. When I say charismatics, you know who I'm talking about, don't you? I'm talking about Joyce Myers, T.D. Jakes, uh, Oral Roberts, who's dead now, uh, Jesse the Plant. He's got the IQ of a plant, Jesse Duplantis. Uh, all those positive confession people. Just say it, you get it with your mouth, you get it. They go into this this eighth chapter of Matthew. The the fifth through the sixth chapter of Matthew is called the Sermon on the Mount. Fifth through six through seven. That's Sermon on the Mount. One of the most profound sermons has ever been preached. Jesus attacks the Pharisees all through that message. That was his first message in the Bible. Then he gets they get out of it, and they and the charismatics and faith healers go crazy with these next verses. And when he came down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold there came a leper and worshipped him and said, Lord, if thou wilt Thalo, T-H-E-L-O, if you will it, and I love that word, that's the word that's used when in the third chapter of John, and Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and the Bible says, the wind bloweth where it listeth, listeth is this word Thalo. It means wills to blow. It comes from the word thelema, T-H-E-L-E-M-A. It's a form of that determination. That's the word in John 1.13. We're born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God's will. It's a form of this. It means determine. This word thalo means to will. So what? This man said to Jesus, he did not say, I believe you're going to make me whole. He did not say that. He said, if it's your will, but the charismatics say he walked up to Jesus and said, you're, you're willing to make me whole. He did not say that. If it's your will, you can make me clean. He said, what you want, since evidently this guy believed Jesus was God in the flesh. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him and said, I will it to be so. I will. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Then the charismatics go into this next man here, just to show you how twisted they are. 
And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion. A centurion was a man in the Roman army who was ahead of at least a hundred soldiers. That's where the word centurion comes from the word century, which is a hundred years. Beseech him, saying, Lord, now notice what this man says. They say this man says, I will for you to heal my servant. He did not say that. Saying, Lord, my servant lieth sick, homesick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. It's my will to come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come into my roof, but speak the word only from where you stand. Boy, he really had faith. Speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Your God, it's your word that'll do it. You don't have to take a move and come to my house. You can do it from right where you stand, since you're God. And I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and another come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, no doubt in all of Israel, that one will say, Oh, if you want it, if it's your will, and you want to heal my servant, you can do it from where you stand. You're God. That's what he was saying. He didn't say, I will for you to heal me. I will for you to heal my servant. The charismatics take these words and just wrench them and twist them all to pieces. It's not God's will to heal everybody. There was a man that was sick in the fifth chapter of John. And he went to this pool of Bethesda. And it was their suspicious beliefs that the first person down into the water that he would be healed when the waters were moving. And I'm sure it was just their superstition. And Jesus walked up. There was a big crowd there at the pool. And he walked up to all these people. He walked through. And a bunch of them were infirmed and sick there on the ground waiting to see if the water moved. And he walked through and looked at this one man and said, Wilt thou made made whole? He didn't say, Would all of you here like to be well? It was Jesus' desire to make everybody well that was sick. He would have said, Does everybody want to be well? He didn't. He just looked at him and said, Wilt thou be made whole? The man said, Yes. And Jesus healed him. He healed who he willed to heal, but his healings was not for the people. He didn't heal people for them. He healed them to prove who he was. That's why he healed them. He says that in Acts the second chapter. In Acts the second chapter, the Bible says that in verse 21, now verse 22, Ye men of Israel, this is Peter talking, these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God. God is approving of Jesus. That's what Peter's saying. 
a man approved of God among you by miracles. The word miracle is not the common word. Miracle is the word dunamis. D-U-N-A-M-I-S. It's a common word that's always usually translated power unto them that believed or received him. Then we gave he the dunamis, the power of God unto salvation. Dunamis. He's approved by dunamis, and the Bible says that dunamis is the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the dunamis of God, the power of God. We get our word dynamite from that. Approved of God by miracles and wonders and wonders and signs, simiao. Simiao means a pointer. All those things that he was being approved. The Pharisees come to Jesus and said, Give us a sign. We got signs in the Old Testament. We were in the desert for 40 years and our shoes didn't wear out and our feet didn't swell up. We had a cloud by day and a fire by night. Give us signs. And he told them there will be no sign be given you but the sign of the prophet Jonah. That was Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then resurrection. That's the only sign you get. Resurrection. And he was approved by God by signs which God did by him in the midst of you as yourself also know. This was all to prove who he was. It wasn't for the people. If it had been for the people, he'd just go out there and heal everybody, wouldn't he? But he tripped among those people at the pool of Bethesda and said, Will you be made whole? Not the rest of these. I'm not interested in healing the rest of them. You cannot just make these things mean what you want them to mean. Now, I don't have time to get into some of these other stories. Do I have any time, Mike? Eight minutes. Maybe I can get into one or two of them in let's go to Mark two. Mark two. This is another way these Charismatics and Pentecostals twist the Word of God. They twist this for sure. Mark the second chapter. This is about God healing the man that was brought to him and he was infirmed and they had to come through the roof. He entered into Capernaum. Capernaum is it's a city that Jesus adapted as his home city. Jesus was raised in the land of Zebulun. That is where Nazareth is. And Capernaum is on the top of the Sea of Galilee. It's right there on the sea. And Jesus adapted that as his place to work from, Capernaum. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them in the house where they were. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. 
It was a crowd. They were crammed in the house. And there came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, born of four. Evidently, these men believed that he was God in the flesh and he could heal him. His word had gone out through the land. And when they could not come nigh to him for the press, the pressure, they uncovered the roof where he was. Now, what does that mean? It means they uncovered the roof. You have to know, if you read Mr. Edersheim, he's got, he's got a book called uh, the, it's about the culture of the Jews. It's about their culture. They built their houses. They built their houses with a flat roof and they had a staircase going up the side. And they had tiles up on the roof. And these men went up on the roof, pulled up one of these tiles because it was crowded around the house and they couldn't get in. So they took him up on the roof, pulled up one of the tiles. The reason they had flat roofs so they could dry their figs and their dry their wheat and their grains up there. And then when they could not come nigh him, they uncovered the roof where he was and they had, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he didn't heal the man because of his faith. He said to him, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And boy, the scribes got bent out of shape. These were the doctors of the law. The top men were the scribes. They were Pharisees, but they were a step above the Pharisees, the men that researched the Bible all day long, researched the Old Testament. There were certain of the scribes sitting there reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemy? He's talking about Jesus. Who can forgive sins but God only? And they got mad at him because he saw their faith and he forgave their sins. Didn't heal them. And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said, Jesus said to the scribes, he says to them, why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it's easier to say this to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. Now he's talking to the scribes. He's not talking to the man. Talking to the scribes. Hypocrites. But that you scribes may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he turned to the sick of the palsy and said, You rise up and walk. He did not heal the man because of his faith. He healed the man to prove who he was to the scribes, these lying hypocrites. The man had nothing to do with it. His faith had nothing to do with anything other than forgiveness of sins. Jesus, and boy, Kenneth Copeland will use this and say, he received his healing. He didn't receive nothing. Idiot. Jesus shouldn't call somebody an idiot. The word idiot comes from the Greek word idios. No prophecy of Scripture is any private interpretation. Idios. 
self. It means self-interpretation. Kenneth Copeland is an ignoramus. And he he was healed. Not it, His healing had nothing to do with his faith. It had to do with him proving who... Isn't this really... This is funny to me. This is so simple. It's like falling off a log. And you can tell a Pentecostal or Charismatic that. And they will ignore the very Bible itself. So we had to receive it. He received nothing. The man was sitting there minding his business, being a cripple, believing God. And Jesus said, I've got to prove who I am to these lying scribes and Pharisees. Stand up and walk. That's what he did. Had nothing to do with his faith or anybody else's faith, why he was physically healed. I'm telling you, the people, they... And then I, I have to go into the next chapter. The Pharisees get mad at him for that. The scribes get mad at him and really try to give him a hard time because he healed and it was on the Sabbath. I'm going to try to go through all of these things. If I can get through them, demon has to do with death to self. Scapegoat has to do with not just... Leviticus 16, but it also has to do with Hebrews 10, Luke 11, and Matthew 17 chapter. That's the scapegoat. I don't have time to go into any more. I'll get into this next time. Matthew 17 has to do with the scapegoat. Leviticus 16 is the literal scapegoat. This is the scapegoat in here, and the scapegoat is in here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for... I I can't express how I feel about this truth by other than just showing it to people on a board. I don't see how preachers preach without a dry erase board or a chalkboard of some kind. So you can show people what these words actually mean. They don't mean what the preachers are saying. Lord, I don't even know what to ask. I just... If it's according to your will and your mercy, Lord, open up opportunities for this ministry for for more exposure for these truths across the world. I don't even know where to go or what to do. I leave that up to these guys that work for us. They they know about computers and things like that. I'm I'm just simple preacher, Lord. Fight our battles for us. Cause to be content in all things. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I don't know how these guys get by with twisting the Word of God, saying a man receives his healing. It's just stupid. Have you lost your have you lost your temper, Dave? No. You know you'll go to hell for lying just as much. Oh, well. <laughs> I, love I love you too, brother. Thanks for the great message. I love it. Well, I like showing the people what things mean. They don't know what they don't mean what the people say. That's the only way to learn.
It is, isn't it? I don't know. Lord help us all.